0: So we're, we're we're going through a series called Transferred, Transferred, and it's a it's a it's a walk through one of the books of the Bible, a, a letter that Paul wrote, one of the shorter letters that Paul wrote, only four chapters, to this city called Colossae, and so the letter is called Colossians, and uh, and we're right now going to be uh, entering into chapter three. And so I'm going to read the first four verses. That's what we're going to be covering today. Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll dig right in. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. It'll be up on the screen. Um, It's pretty easy to follow along, I I think, with all of the versions. Uh, Paul says this to this small church in Colossae. He's He's never met them before, and he's writing this letter to encourage them. And hopefully it will be encouraging to us today. A small church, and Paul's never been here, right? So we have a lot in common. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it's a great passage, and the big idea is he's saying fix your eyes on things above and fix your heart on things above. If you're reading through the NIV or some other translations, that's exactly what it says. He says fix your heart on things above and fix your mind on things above. And there's a lot more nuance in there that's really meaningful and meaty, and so we want to dig in that today. But the big idea is that the answer begins to whatever it is that we're going through, the answer always begins with fixing your eyes on Jesus. This series is called Transferred transferred and the reason why we call it transferred comes from a, another passage in the earlier on in the in the letter in colossians one thirteen and 14 i want to remind you what paul said already in this letter he said that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in other words you've been transferred if we were if we were on a sports team if we played a sport you were on one team you've been transferred You're no longer on that team. You're on a different team. You have a different coach. You have different team members. You have different uniforms. You have a different name. You have a different culture. Everything's been changed because you've been transferred. And so that's the idea of this this letter is what does it look like to live like people who are transferred? And he says, you've been transferred from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, that's Jesus, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So the first thing I want to look at today in your notes is, what does it look like to live like you've been transferred? So we're going to call this Kingdom Transferred 101. You guys ready for school? Alright, Kingdom Transferred 101, according to Paul. And the first thing is, in letter A in your notes, is this. That he tells us that there are things that are on the earth. There are things that are of the earth. and matter of fact, he says, don't fix, your mi- don't fix your heart and your mind on the things that are on the earth. But rather, he gives you an alternative of what he wants you to do to fix your eyes on Jesus. But there are things that are on the earth. And this is kind of an interesting idea. And I just want to make sure that we understand what he's saying biblically. The first thing I would say with this is there are things that are on the earth. When the Bible talks about the world, let's start there. When the Bible uses the, the term world, it can mean three things. There's three different ways the Bible uses world. Sometimes when he talks about the world, it's talking about creation. It's talking about the physical earth, the physical things of this world. That sometimes is the world, right? When we look at the things of the world, we're in awe because we know who the creator is. So that's good. When we go to the Psalms, sometimes the world is, 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 is just creation. Sometimes, when the Bible uses the word world, it's talking about all the people in the world. Matter of fact, one of the most famous Bible verses is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his only son, and we know Jesus died on a cross to redeem this people who were in the world, and those people in the world are the ones that get transferred, and that's us, right? And so God loves the world in that sense when he's talking about the people. And sometimes... In the Bible, when it uses the phrase world, it's talking about all the things in the world that have gone astray from the Creator. They're the things that are opposing the things of God. And so the same way we we see this with the earth. Sometimes when it uses the phrase earth, it's talking about creation. Sometimes it's talking about the people. And sometimes it's talking about all the systems and philosophies and distractions and heartache that are opposed from the way God created the world to be initially. And that is what Paul is talking about in this passage. When he says, don't fix your eyes on the earth, he's not saying don't care about the earth. He's not saying he's not an anti-Earth Day guy, right? It's important that we take care of the earth. As a matter of fact, that was one of the first commands, was take care of the earth, right? He created it, and he said, take care of it. What about the people? Are we supp- the people of the earth? We should care about the people of the earth. But there are things that are pointing us in the wrong direction, that are, that are the opposite. going the opposite direction as the things of God, and that's what he's talking about. We need to be careful not to fix our eyes on these things. The things of the world, in other words, The earth, in biblical analogy, it often refers to things that are opposing the things of God. Now, then he says in letter B in your notes, is there's an alternative way of living, of focusing. And those are on the things that are above. Well, what does that mean? If we were going to tackle that today we would need to be here all day right what are all the things that are above it could you could go on and on it's somewhat an abstract kind of a a thought but paul doesn't leave it abstract he gives some definition to it and he says the things that are above that we're to set our hearts and our minds on this is where jesus is this is the things that are where jesus is literally says where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So when we think about things that are above, we're talking about the things that are where Jesus is and the things that Jesus care about, the way Jesus sees it. And So we have these contrasting ideas, and if we're honest, we all are bombarded with this crossroads every moment of every day. So he says, fix your eyes on things above not on things of this earth. And that, that kind of seems pretty, okay, we can get our head around that. And then he says something profound and really helpful. He says, for you are hidden with Christ in God. You are hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean to be hidden in Christ with God? And so as I was trying to figure out how do I communicate this, how do we wrap our head around this, This diagram kind of formulated in my head, and so I wrote it down on a piece of paper on a Starbucks napkin, and then Bill Main, who's our resident artist uh, and and friend, put it on the computer and made it look cool. And so I want to explain this to you because I think this is kind of a a, a visual picture of what Paul's talking about. On the left, we have one way of seeing things. On the left, this is how most people view reality. You have at the bottom, you have life on earth. Life on earth, how do you define life on earth? Well, we could argue, if we were with scientists or philosophers or, or politicians, we could argue, when does life begin, right? Some people argue it, it begins at conception or at your first, first breath outside of the womb. I don't want to argue that this morning. That's not the point. But somewhere in there, life begins, and then you have a whole life, and then life ends. And so most people would would define life as that period between when you're born and when you pass away, everything in between that would be life, right? That's why we come up with cool bumper stickers like YOLO. You only live once. What that is saying is you only live from this certain amount of time from the time you're born, so make the most of it, right? YOLO. That's the idea. And then most people have some kind of cont- uh, uh, a context for an afterlife. Either you're an atheist and you don't believe in it, but you talk about it. Like it, you, you, you intentionally say it doesn't exist. Or, or you have some other man-made religious ideology that kind of goes in between that. So you have this life that you live here, and then someday something, there'll, be, there'll be something after you die. right? And that's where we're at. And we have man-made... Religious ideologies that try to explain how that works. Well, what Paul is saying is that that's not the way that God wants us to view things. He says, no, we've been transferred, and so we see things as we see them on the right. We have life on earth, and then we have eternal life, and eternal life has invaded life on the earth. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He invaded. He he, he took away the chasm, the mysteries. Like That's what he talked about, the mysteries that has been hidden. We looked at that earlier on in Colossians. The mystery that's been hidden has now been revealed. They've collided together. In Jesus, it was revealed. Now it looks different. Now you have your life on earth, and eternal life has, has collided, and you have this space in the middle called hidden in Christ. And so we're hidden in Christ, and then as you see in there, and we're also hidden in God. That's the reality of what it looks like to be a Christian, Paul is saying. We have this new way of seeing things. And so eternal life, by Paul's definition, doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you are transferred into this new life, That begins while you're on this earth. So Paul gives us a new definition of eternal life. It's not what happens sometime in the future. It's what happens now when you're reconciled to God. And this isn't only Paul who's making this up. Jesus taught this. In John 17, 3 Jesus is praying this great prayer. And he says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. In other words, I'm about to share with you the definition of eternal life. He says this is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus, his son. That you would know God. So eternal life means you have a relationship with God. Life means you have a relationship with God. John would later share with his congregation in 1 John 5 12, he would say it like this Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You have life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the reality. Now here's some interesting thoughts that might be some pushback or some things that you still have unsettled. If we're to live with our minds on things above, one might argue, like D.L. Moody, a great evangelist, used to say often during his rallies, we don't want to be people who are so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. You guys have heard that, right? Because Johnny Cash actually borrowed that and put it into one of his lyrics. We're no you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Of course, we don't want to be that. But I would just submit this: that's a left side way of thinking. That somehow there's this chasm and this disconnect between our life now and our life then. That you would, that if you were to be heavenly minded, you couldn't be engaged in any earthly good. But Paul gives us a new way of thinking. And what he's going to teach us is no when you're heavenly minded that is actually when you are heavenly good or earthly good. Some people might say this. You might say this about somebody. That guy's super solid. He's got his feet on the ground. You guys ever heard that? Right? In other words, like you got your feet on the ground, you're you you're you're in touch with reality, you're grounded on this earth. So we might have this idea that maybe it's better to be focused on this earth now and then someday in the future we'll worry about what comes next. Just be good here and then later. Well, that's also left side thinking because that's that's assuming that there is this huge disconnect between now and then. But there isn't is what Paul is saying. He's saying we have this new model, this new way of seeing things, and it looks like this, you're still engaged in this earth, but you're hidden, you're hidden in Christ, in God. Some of the practical ways that, this is the only place in the New Testament where he uses this language, right? So there must have been something that the, that the Colossae people were, were, were able to wrap their head around, there must have been something about this hiddenness, and I don't know what it is. There was an earthquake in Colossae about a year after Paul writes this, and it never got rebuilt. So a lot of the historical nuance, we don't even know. We can't go back and refigure out a lot of this stuff. But somehow we're hidden, and I think about, that's pretty practical. When you become a Christian, you get transferred in an instance, and then you get transformed over a lifetime. You're transferred in an instance, but you don't always feel different, do you? Maybe you had an experience where you gave your life to Jesus and then you keep asking, wait, was it real? Because you still look the same. You still have the same clothes. You still have some of the same bad habits. You still have the same friends. You still have the same whatever, right? You still have the same job. You've been transferred in place. So much has changed, but it's not all visible. It's hidden. Other people don't really always see the difference in us at least not physically i mean how do you point out a christian other than what do they smile more but well, that could be a lot of other people who i know who smile more than christians do right what does a christian look like right they look the same pretty much on instagram at least or worse right so we're hidden there's something hidden about it and it will be revealed so we're hidden so how should we live then as people who are hidden. Well, first we need to realize this. And this is something amazing. I hope you didn't miss it in this passage. He talks about the past, the present, and the future in this four verses. He says three different things. He says, you were, you were raised. You were raised. In other words, you used to have an old life. On the diagram on the right, you would see you, you used to live your old life. And then you were raised or transferred into this new life, right? So you were raised. You were saved. You were transformed. You were redeemed. You were reconciled. There's a lot of words the New Testament can use. You were transformed, transferred. You were raised. What are you now? You are hidden. You now live in this not There's this, 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 this text that some theologians call the already, but the not yet. You've already been redeemed. You're already, eternal life has already started for you. You're already reconciled, but there's a not yet. There's, this, there's still a not yet. And so he talks about that too. He says, you were raised, you are hidden, and you will appear with him in glory. You were, you are. And you will be, and we live in a great tension in the middle of that. How many of you guys would say amen to the fact that sometimes being a Christian is tense and hard? Because we're hidden, we're, we're, we're living in this. So how should we live as kingdom people who are hidden in Christ in God? Well, he tells us that in Colossians 1, in the bigger picture of this transferred idea. He says this, he says practically so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Do you try to please him? Is that the aim of your life? Do you bear fruit in every good work? Right? We're not so heavenly minded that we're not earthly good. We're actually supposed to do good work. That's what he says. And then he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you growing in your knowledge of God and in your faith? And then be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. We need to be strengthened. If you're a theologian or you're a student, you can write this down. We believe in a God who's three in one. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The easy way to kind of understand how this works is this. The Father always initiates. The Father's always initiating. The Son is always accomplishing it. Jesus accomplished on the cross. The Son accomplishes. What does the Holy Spirit do? He applies it. So the Father's always initiating. They're always working together in such a unity that sometimes it's even they're, they're, it's communicated as if it's all the same because it's so close together and working together in one that the Father's initiating, the Son is accomplishing, and the Holy Spirit is applying in all of our lives all of the time Amen. because we're hidden in Christ. And so he says this power comes from somewhere else. It's not right building up power within yourself and it's according to his glorious might for the saints in the light because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiving the forgiveness of sin so if you're in christ you were transferred in place transferred in an instance and then transformed over a lifetime and praise god not alone with this God who initiates, accomplishes, and applies it in our life. So much that Paul says to the Philippian church, Philippians 1-6, that you could be confident of this, that he who began a great work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the, ty- that's the day when we're transferred once again. We're transferred from hidden to fully known. From seeing him like a foggy mirror, it says in, in, to the Corinthian church, to seeing him face to face. So, what does it look like to be transformed? We talked about what it looks like to be transferred. So, let's talk about Kingdom Transformation 101. Let's get to the next level of our schooling, right? So, he says the first thing about Kingdom Transformation in letter A is this it starts with, it starts with a changed heart and mind, it starts with a change of heart. And a change of mind. And so he says, I want you to set your mind on things above, and I want you to set your hearts on things above, because that's where this process really begins. A changed heart and a changed mind. Is this new that Paul is talking about? No, you could go all the way back to the early days of the Israelites. They used to pray and and teach the Shema, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, right? This prayer, what is it? Well, the heart of it is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor. And there's this connectedness to that. What is that about? That God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And then the Bible says, and do not love the world. John says that in First John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world and the things of the world. Right? And we already talked about, he's talking about the things that are opposing to God in the world. So how does this work? Here's how it works. When we fall in love with the things of the world, when we fall in love with the things of the world, It never points us to Jesus. Falling in love with the world will never lead you to a passionate pursuit of Jesus. But, but, when you fall in love with God, he passionately points you to love the world. So if you love the world, you'll never end up loving God. But if you love God, you will love the people in this world and the earth. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the answer. When we love God first, God points us to love our neighbors. That's the progression. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then of course you're naturally going to love your neighbor. That's why they're connected. The greatest commandment. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth And you will get neither. So our hearts and minds fixed on Jesus doesn't pull us away from doing good. It leads us towards doing good. And so after we have this changed heart and mind, what comes next is this in letter B, that we have a changed identity. We have a changed identity. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Oftentimes in the Bible, we, we, we talk about this. Christ died for you. You guys have heard that, right? Jesus died for your sins. Christ died for us. When we say Christ died for us, that's true. And what we're talking about is we're talking about a great substitution, right? It's called oftentimes in theology, the great exchange. My sin was given to Jesus and he nailed it to the cross. And from that, when I believe in him and receive that, he gives me his righteousness. It's a great exchange. It's a substitution. If you're a theologian, you would look at it like this. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal penalty substitution. He paid the penalty atonement and it worked. Right? It worked. He took my penalty. I got his new fresh life. So when Christ died for us, it's about substitution. But that's not what Paul says in this Small section. He doesn't, he doesn't point out again. He has it other times. He doesn't, he's not pointing out just Christ died for you. He says, we died with Christ. Amen. He said, you, if then, you have died with Christ. That's about a change of identity. Amen. When Christ died for us, that's a substitution. When we died with Christ, that's a change of identity. Jesus talked about it with one of the, the, the Jewish members of the 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 council right in john chapter 3 he says you need to be born again that's the language he uses born again what does that look like it means like to the right if you remember you were you were living your life without god and then you were born again you were born while you were on earth again into this new life where now you have eternal life because you've been reconciled to god he calls it born again this is a new identity the bible calls you if you've been born again you're a new creation You're the same old you with a lot of new. You're a new creation. Being transformed over a lifetime. Right? You're a new creation. Or when you put us all together as a church, as as the kingdom of God, the the theologians call that we're the new humanity. We're the church. We're new. We're different. There's something different about us. And it's a change of identity. Listen. Listen. This is perhaps the hardest hurdle for any Christian to get over. To believe what God said is true, that you are new. But I don't feel new, but you are new. But I don't feel new, but, I, but you are new. But I don't feel new, but you are new. And you guys ever, like, you hear God loves you and you're like, that just blows your mind? I just I can't fathom that. Like, why? You're new. But you're you're not not everything you're still the, have the old bad habits. But you're new. It's a new identity. If you don't step into that new identity, you're missing out on so much of what God wants to do in you and through you as you're hidden in him in Christ. Accepting that is the cornerstone, I believe, of true faith. That what God said about you is true, that he loves you, and this is new identity, born again. Here's some practical application. In our earthly minds, when we're, our minds are fixed on the things of earth, we might, we might look at things like this. We are victims of a cruel and senseless world. You ever feel like that? I mean, you can't get through like swiping through too much Facebook before you start feeling like that, right? Or or, or watching the news. We're just victims of this cruel and senseless world. But if your minds are on things above, we are victors awaiting a heavenly inheritance. Think about that. Which one makes you feel different? I'm a victim of this cruel and senseless world. I'm a victor awaiting an inheritance. That's what he's saying when he says, Set your minds on things above. No, you're a victor waiting an in inheritance, he says. Not a victim waiting to be demolished. It's a different way of seeing things. Theologically, we might say, in Adam, which is without God, in Adam, we are naked and ashamed. But in Christ, we are clothed in righteousness and beloved. It's very different. It's understanding this change of identity is important. And then that leads, letter C, to a changed lifestyle. You cannot skip the first two. Don't just go behavior modification. I'm going to change myself. That's what he's saying. Change will come. Change will come, but first it's heart and mind. Understanding the identity change, and then the life is truly changed by the power of God and not the power that you have left to muster up. Warren Wearsby says like this, he goes, It does little good if Christians declare and defend the truth, but fail to demonstrate it in their lives. I wish I could just just do like a magic eraser over all the Christians in the world's Facebook posts and tweets with that. Defending the truth, that's great, but live it. Live it, he's saying. There should be a change of lifestyle. Paul says in a letter to Titus about certain people, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. The next two weeks, we're going to be looking. Paul is going to build on this, and he's going to talk about putting off some things and putting on some things, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves this morning. We still have plenty to learn from these four verses. So the next thing we see in here in, letter th- in in section 3 is this. He says, seek the things that are above where, where King Jesus is, where he's on the throne, where he's seated at the right hand. Seek the things that are above. I would use this word because it kind of, it's, I, I, it's the same thing, but, but it just means more to me in our language. He's saying pursue, pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus with all your heart, he's saying. What does it look like? Say your mind on things. It means to pursue Jesus with all of your heart. Here's something that's just a fact that I've learned about life, and you probably could confirm it. You probably all could confirm it. You don't drift towards health. In this life, in all aspects, you do not drift towards health. In other words, you don't just do nothing and then wake up one day and you're super healthy. Right? As you get older, it becomes harder and harder to stay healthy. Anyone, can I get an amen? amen? Right? I mean, not only do you have more hair growing out of your ears, but you have more other stuff growing all over, right? And you're like, whoa, it's hard. If you just, if you just go through the motions and do whatever your flesh feels like, you're not going to be healthy because you don't drift towards health. Emotionally, you don't drift towards health. You've got to work at it physically emotionally intellectually you don't just get smarter by you know eating cheetos and smoking pot and playing video games i'm just talking to the millennials now (laughs) and the old school hippie i guess i'm talking to all of you right you don't drift towards health it's spiritually why would we think that we would spiritually drift towards health he's saying no you will not drift towards health matter of fact the world will pull you from every direction. If you're just going through the motions, the world will pull you in all different directions. It's been said and quoted and requoted and retweeted, because it's a great tweet, that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. If your mind isn't fixed on Jesus, on the things above, then you will get caught up in this world. In all different types of ways, and the sneakiest ways are the ones that aren't obviously bad, right? Like busyness. You'll just get super busy, doing maybe good things or, or, or not bad things, but, but you're just busy. If you don't intentionally pursue Jesus, you will drift. I would, I would suggest that I, in, in my 20 years of being a Christian, I've drifted many times. You might have found yourself this morning just contemplating this. Man, have I drifted. I'm still going through the motions, even doing all kinds of great things. Maybe I'm super involved in ministry. Maybe I'm even a pastor. But I've drifted from the heart and soul of what this is all about. My relationship with Jesus, I haven't tended to that. And so we don't drift towards health. And then he says this, we as Christians need to be able to see Beyond earthly hype. Jesus said in Mark 13, he said, the things of this world will fade away. But my my word will never fade away. We need to remember that. The things of this earth will fade. It's not that they're not important. The things on this earth can be important. Social justice issues are important. Loving your neighbor is important. Helping your Helping people, it's important. Sitting with people who are hurting, it's important. If you're hurting, not skipping over that and pretending like you're not. Just, just dealing with it, with Jesus and each other. It's important. The things of this earth are important. But there is something bigger. There is something better to focus on. That's why Helen Lamell in... 1922, almost 100 years ago, she wrote one of my favorite hymns. You guys may have heard it before. It goes something like this. <clears throat> Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Something real happens. Can I get on the worship team, you guys, say, for a clap. Let's not let, let's not let Tim vote. Let's just do a clap. Just kidding. You do not want that. Jesus does not want that. Amen. But here's some practical transformation. We can see it's been experienced over and over when we fix our eyes on Jesus. How many of you guys can fix 100 things at once? How many of you guys could just say, I surrender and I want to fix my eyes on Jesus and let him fix the rest? That's what he's saying. Don't try to fix yourself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That was like tweetable. (laughs) See beyond the earthly hype. Practical transformation, how does this begin? A lot of times when you are first a Christian or when you're contemplating being a Christian, you ask this question. If I become a Christian, how will that affect my relationship? If I become a Christian, how will it affect my work? In other words, if I become a Christian, how will that affect my day-to-day life? Well, I'm glad that you're processing that, and it's a great place to start, but let me just suggest That when you become mature as a Christian, when you really understand what's going on, you make an adjustment. You don't ask, how will being a Christian affect my day-to-day life? You ask this question, how is my day-to-day life affecting my walk with Jesus and my witness for him? It's a transferred mind. It's a different way of seeing things. It's putting him first. It's aiming towards him. It's pursuing him. We'll have the worship team come back up. Lastly, the big idea, what he's saying is this, and we've heard it in a million ways, but you can't serve two kings. You can multitask. How many of you guys can multitask? You can't multitask kings. You can't have two kings. You can't be the king, and Jesus can't be the king at the same time. You're going to surrender to him. What everyone else thinks about you can't be the king of your life. Reaching that goal on earth that you somehow, that's all you're focused on, if that's the king of your life, you need a bigger king. And guess what? If you have the bigger king, you just might have some of those other things too. But if you focus all your attention on those things, you're going to miss out on the king and the kingdom. And what it's all about. So, here's just a few thoughts as we prepare to worship. Maybe, you can, maybe you're already thinking these things, or maybe, maybe you just need some time to process, but I would ask these things of myself and, and all of us Have you gotten dis- distracted or off track in your walk with Jesus? Or maybe you want to ask, How have you gotten off track? or distracted in your relationship with Jesus? Can you look back and see how you've drifted? I've been there. It's often the things that that aren't obviously bad, like I said, that are the most effective. It's busyness. It's worry. It's hard things that have happened to you, and you don't know how to deal with it. The answer is not to not deal with it. It's to deal with it with him. Are you one foot in, one foot out? Are you one foot in, one foot out? Are you on the fence? Remember, you don't drift towards health. You're going to, if you're one foot in, one foot out, you know what you really are? And the the enemy's got you right where he wants you. You're one foot out and one foot on a banana peel. You're one bad thing away, one more distraction away from just completely losing that foot in. Are you hiding from God rather than being hidden in God? It starts with your heart and mind. Then, believing that he has forgiven you. And for me, that's the hardest one. Just believing that what he says about me is true. And then it's one step at a time. One step at a time with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Maybe just God has been speaking to you this morning and you're like, okay, I know what my next step is. Praise God. Praise God. That's all he asks. Fix your eyes on Jesus and walk with him. Walking happens one step at a time. I'm going to pray and then as we're worshiping, we're going to have some, a team that wants to pray with you over here and I just want to keep reminding you guys that the culture of this church is not such that you only go for prayer when you're like completely devastated. If you're completely devastated, yes, go get prayer. But here's, I just want to remind you, when someone gets up and walks over to prayer, do not let your mind think this, (laughs) I wonder what's going on in their life. That's not the culture we have here. We believe in prayer. We want to get prayed. Matter of fact, like I keep giving this analogy, if you went to Disneyland and your favorite ride and, and you went on your favorite ride and you got off and there was no line, what would you do next? You would get back in line. I can't wait to see the day when someone goes and gets prayed for and then they're walking away and they go. No one's in line. I'm going to go get prayed for again, right? We welcome that. So let's get prayed for. Let's get real. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. If you don't know what to do with the mess that is your life, promise you he does. Start there. Let me pray.